Episode 78, No More Torturing Patients with Piles of Paper Forms. Today, I speak with David Perez from Seamless Medical Systems. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I have been endlessly confounded by the continued existence of paper forms in medical offices. Patients roll their eyes with ill-disguised annoyance while provider office staff sit amidst mountains of paper and clinicians waste time asking the same questions that are on forms which have not been entered into the system yet. Here's another downside to paper forms that I hadn't really considered until I spoke with David Perez from Seamless Medical Systems today. Paper is unidirectional. There's no chance for interaction, like to feed the patient useful information about wait times or relevant clinical or disease information. And there's also zero opportunity to customize the form to remove questions that become known to be irrelevant. For example, as soon as you check the box that you're a man, maybe you shouldn't get asked the question about whether you're pregnant or breastfeeding. These and other issues I speak with David Perez about today. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, David. Hi, it's great to be here, Stacey. Let's talk about seamless medical system. You have a few product categories, but let's talk about the one where you replace paper forms with an iPad. What does that look like? Patient wanders into the waiting room and instead of being handed a stack of photocopies, an iPad gets passed through the little glass window. Is that how it works? Exactly. We've all had the experience of going to our doctor's office and getting handed those photocopies and some of them are crooked and they've been photocopied dozens of times and the print is small and there's not much area to fill in. And it was my frustration being a patient using one of those that inspired me to to replace that with an iPad. So to replace quill and parchment with the 21st century technology. I was just going to say, so your goal here is to demolish the clipboard industry. (laughs) (laughs) That and paper copiers and printing and toning and the others to be inspired to really also save the environment. When you think about the number of trees that are killed and the the carbon that's produced by moving paper around, we could have a very positive environmental impact as well. And this whole conversation that we are having in January of 2016 does, in fact, strike me as strange, I have to say, because it is my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the first thing that happens when that clipboard gets passed back through the window from the patient is that somebody somewhere is typing the information into an EHR system. Is that largely correct? Absolutely. With the added issue that it goes into a very large stack of piles of paper that can sit there for days or even months before that data is entered into the EHR system. So the issue with the paper as a data capture device is it's not intelligent. Patients have to write multiple times all their information. And then imagine sitting there trying to decipher that handwriting. I know my handwriting is not pristine. And trying to type that into a system. If the person transcribing the data into the EHR gets one digit wrong, the whole claim is denied. 
So if they get one digit wrong at a birthday, that doctor doesn't get paid. Someone else is now going to have to chase that down, make the correction, and then resubmit the claim. It just leads to a whole downstream effect of data entry errors, a lot of workflow inefficiency. Again, like you said, it's 2016. And here we have basically a 14th century technology using for data capture in one of the largest industries in our country. Why? Obviously, people don't typically, I'm going to assume that they're not hanging on to paper in this particular aspect when everything else is going digital for no good reason. What is the allure or the big problem which has caused the healthcare industry providers to continue to use paper here? Well, I think it's a few things. I'm from a medical family. My dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse, and they had a little office attached to our house growing up in New Jersey. And when I started down this path of the starting Seamless, I did it from the point of view of being a consumer of healthcare services. And I thought back about my parents' practice, and what I realized, even in the 21st century, not a lot changed from when he was practicing medicine in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And then a number of things changed. So with the High Tech Act, certainly there was this rush towards electronic medical records. But when you think about it, that technology was really an accounting system. It was installed for the staff, both administrative and clinical, of the medical practice. So from the front desk back to the exam room, you had some form of electronic medical record. But from the front desk to the front door, the patients were left with quill and parchment again. What I learned, I'm, I'm fairly new to healthcare. You know, again, I started this company four years ago and got into healthcare technology. And I was asking the same questions you were, Stacy. What I learned was there's enormous inertia in healthcare. People don't like to change. And no one had really thought about that aspect. I, I find it interesting when I've asked practices or health systems, how much do you spend on paper and printing? The answer is, I don't want to know. There's a, a medical practice I spoke to, 20 doctors, very successful orthopedic practice outside of Dallas. They use 50,000 sheets of paper a week that they print, they scan, they shred, and they throw out. And all of those steps, and, and transcribe, by the way, all those steps have a lot of cost associated with them. I've been, I don't know if I'm Don Quixote fighting the windmills in healthcare, but we are seeing a change. Uh, just in the last six to nine months, we've seen that big health systems are calling us saying, we torture our patients with paper. We need to change this. We've heard about you. How do we change this dynamic? So it's starting to happen. I don't think... From my perspective, torture your patients is much of a stretch. I mean, it is torturous to sit there and fill out the same information. And I'm thinking right now also of my father-in-law who has a, a neurologic difficulty that he can't write very well. And he stresses out about going to the, the doctor. He makes his wife go with him to fill out the forms because his hand is shaky. Also, with the aging of the population, I could see that this is probably a problem that's going to, or a torturousness, which is going to become more torturous. Yeah, and the workflow, that is a direct quote from the chief operating officer of 
the largest academic health institution in New York City. I will, they will go unnamed for the time being, but they have a beautiful, state-of-the-art office in downtown Manhattan. And they've got all their specialties there, 110,000 square feet. And I went for a tour. It looks like you're walking into a first-class airport lounge. Gorgeous. And you get handed a clipboard with 11 sheets of paper. So if you're seeing one doctor in one area, they say, you know what, you need an MRI. And you literally walk 20 feet down the hall. You walk into another office. They hand you the clipboard with 11 sheets of paper that you need to fill out again. That to me is torture. (laughs) Not only inefficient, but for the patient and for the staff, it's torture. When I started showing the staff what we had, they were literally squealing and screaming. When can we have this? Patients are ready for a change. The staff is ready for a change. And changes are coming. <laughs> well, and the last time that we had spoken, you had mentioned the, the consumerization of healthcare and just how that is altering or maybe incenting this change and hurrying it along. So I am assuming that plays into your last comment about the change. It is a coming and it's probably coming faster than people realize. Yeah, it's this idea of consumerization, quote unquote, in in healthcare. There's multiple effects that are creating this wave. One is we as consumers of healthcare services with insurance are now responsible for much more of the cost of our care. I can't remember, was it 10 or 15 years ago? There was no such thing as a copay. You just went in, either you paid cash if you were a cash payer, or you had insurance and you walked out. Now, uh, with these high deductible plans, co-pays, the patient portion of payment is going to go from 5% to over 25% of the revenue for healthcare providers. And it has a lot of them panicked. That's one. So now as consumers, we're saying, well, this is the only service that we would consume where we don't know what the cost is until months later. If we were to go out and buy a car and we got a bill Three months later, for another twenty thousand dollars, we'd scream bloody murder. We just wouldn't. We wouldn't buy that car. We wouldn't conduct. You know, we wouldn't do business with them. One is the cost. We as consumers want some control and transparency on cost. So we're starting to see that, uh, particularly with retail clinics and urgent care clinics. So the targets of the world, Walmart and CVS and Rite Aid, are creating clinics where you know what? There's a price list. A vaccine costs 20 bucks. A certain procedure costs $35. You can't get that from your doctor around the corner or your, your local hospital. You go into an emergency room, you won't, you, you'll just receive bills for months. So it's unacceptable in a consumer-facing society. I think the other piece is around uh, generation. I'm in my mid-50s. I still grew up with the, the generation of kind of physician-led medicine, where the doctor was God and he was generally a man. And everything was, the whole industry was built around the physician. And that's changing, much too many of the physicians' chagrin. But as the older generation, the boomers start to move on and pass on, the expectations that the millennials have and younger generations have is going to be very, very different from What I had as a kid growing up where you had a doctor, that doctor took care of you, they knew your family, they knew your medical history because they'd seen you. They knew your parents, they knew your brother, they knew your sister. That day's gone. 
consumers of healthcare services are now starting, this, particularly the younger ones, but even my age, I'm looking for convenience. I'm looking for great customer service and a great customer experience and quality care. Those are the waves that are moving through the healthcare industry now. And again, the retailers know how to do that. You know, Target treats their patients, they call them guests, like they do everyone else in the store. They're a guest and they treat them like that. The last quote I'll give you on, on this area that really rocked my world when I just, again, got into this business in 2011 and started creating this company, I asked a physician who was in his early 50s, I, I used the word consumer, and he said, excuse me, I have to interrupt you. They are not consumers. They are patients. And I said, what's the difference? He said, consumers have choice. Patients don't. <laughs> exactly. And I, my mouth was open, and I said, with all due respect, there, that attitude and that comment, therein lies part of the problem in our industry. Exactly. I see it as an issue on two levels. Number one, I don't think that most patients would consider themselves patients. I mean, when is a patient a patient? For the assuming that they're a healthy individual, are they a patient when they walk into the doctor's office? In other words, if you would survey people walking out the door and you said, excuse me, are you a patient? How many people would say, yes, I am? I would wonder. I, I don't think patients consider themselves patients unless they're an inpatient in a hospital, number one. But number two, considering that only it was like 20 or 30, I think it depends what you look at, percent of outcomes are driven by what happens in a clinical setting. Mm. 60 to 80% of outcomes are driven by what happens not in a clinical setting. Saying that patients, at which time the consumer patient human, is 100% the decision maker of what goes on there. Right. Or that's probably an overstatement. But they are significantly deciding on choices, making choices which are going to affect their outcomes. So on two levels, that is a crazy comment that that physician made. And hopefully that is not pervasive, but I... Well, I, I agree. You know, I think it's it's a couple other issues too, is is our generation, starting with the, with the boomers and, and certainly youngers, we want to be better informed about how to take care of ourselves, our health and well-being, right? The boomers, we're all narcissists, right? We want to live forever. We want to look great. A lot of that comes to education, Again, part of the generational shift is we as consumers want to be more educated about how to stay healthy, not how to fix us when we get sick. It reminds me of a similar industry that went through, or another industry that went through a similar transition, financial services. So I was a stockbroker in the, in the early 1980s. I worked at Dean Witter Reynolds, which no longer exists as part of Morgan Stanley. But at that time, if anybody wanted to make an investment, they would either go to their bank and buy a U.S. savings bond or a CD or put it in a savings account or have to go to a stockbroker and make an investment and pay quite high fees to do that. And then the late 80s to early 1990s came this wave of consumerization of financial services. And it began with financial literacy. I remember working at these firms and saying, we have a financial literacy program. Well, what it was was to get consumers educated enough to start to be able to understand investments and understand finances better. Along the same time came the technology wave. Now we're getting into the late 1990s, early 2000s, when the E-Trades of the world and Charles Schwab, and there were companies providing consumer 
services for investors that weren't just the wealthy. You could, like, think about it now. You could pick up your iPhone and you can manage all of your finances and make investments and trade stocks all from your phone. But you can't pick up your iPhone or even your computer and have access to almost any of your medical information. So that's the other thing that drives me is, is saying, okay, yeah, I can manage all my finances. I can see all of that on a computer. But in order for me to get my medical data, my own personal property, I have to run around to all the doctors I've ever seen. I've got to pay them money to get lousy photocopies of my health information with very little ability to truly understand it. That's the other parallel. Look at it. Look at what happened in financial services. Look at where we are today. Look at where we are in healthcare. And it, it must change. That is a, a really good segue into seamless medical systems. What are you doing? What does this iPad look like? How does the experience change if it, a provider organization has deployed your solution versus this paper madness? Well, it just really begins at the kind of the digital clipboard, if you will. That's just the entry point. Uh, we've developed a patient engagement platform. And I'm so sick of the word patient engagement. Right now, I'm trying to think of a better. It's really a consumer platform. And what it does for a provider or health system is provide the face to your consumers, a front end that allows them to interact and communicate with the practice or the health system. We've developed this to follow the patient journey. So it begins before you ever walk into a hospital or rather into your doctor's office. On your own device, whether it's your laptop or your, your smartphone, you can identify locations of clinics. You can see the wait time. You can register. So you can do all the registration you want digitally, not like some EHR portal that gives you a PDF that you can download. You can actually fill in all your information, and that gets transmitted into the electronic medical record real time. So the patient can walk into the practice. All the information is done. They're waiting to see the doctor. Or in, in a practice where the patient just walks in, they're handed the iPad instead of the clipboard. If it's a new patient, they fill out all the information. It's transmitted into the back-end system. If it's an existing patient, they're greeted, David, welcome back to Dr. Jones's office. Has any information changed? Why are you here today? Oh, your HIPAA form is out of date. Please sign the HIPAA form privacy policy, because there's obviously an enormous amount of, of documentation that's needed. All that's digital. Then insurance is verified for that patient. We can take a payment for a copay. We can actually carry a balance. So if there's an outstanding balance due, we can keep a credit card on file and a patient can pay it. Then we provide health education that's tailored to the patient based on their name, age, gender, and reason for a visit. All that comes on the iPad. And so that's brought to you by that doctor. So, and, and then we can also survey. So there's the other piece is really understanding and being in touch with what your customers want and need and what they're complaining about or, or complimenting you about. We can serve up surveys during that experience. And then when the patient leaves, we can provide discharge notes to their own device, provide health tips. So whether they have a chronic condition like diabetes, or maybe they just had a laceration uh, sewn up, they can have information digitally that will help them to care for themselves. And then the practice can communicate them and say, hey, David, it's time for your flu vaccine. Come on back in. Or 
It's time for your Medicare and your wellness visit. Come on back in. It's really an end-to-end platform that provides the seamless front end to the patient for the provider. I realized something when you were talking, and that is I had not considered how unidirectional paper forms are. In in other words, it is a one-way communication where the patient can or the consumer or the person sitting in the waiting room can provide information to the physician or the provider office, but there's no way for the provider to react to that information, certainly not in real time, but even in some ways subsequently. So by just simply the act of digitizing it, I mean, it not only makes things more efficient, but it enables a bidirectional communication, which is completely impossible in the current, I'm going to say, widely used standard at this time. Right. And so there's simple things like on the paper, you're asked to put in your date of birth and your age. We have developed a technology, an algorithm so sophisticated that we can calculate someone's age from putting in their their date of birth. Isn't that fascinating? It's so, yeah, we could use that to land people on Mars, but but that's how crazy it is, right? So you're supposed to write all this stuff on paper. And the other thing is I'm on the paper, I'm asked if I'm pregnant or breastfeeding. Well, with Seamless, we never ask the same question twice. One of the first things you say is, or is your gender, and then you're asked gender-appropriate questions as you move down the line. So a typical new patient filling in information with a history form and review of systems could take 30 to 45 minutes. Our patients are done in 8 to 10. I want to say that that is such a gigantic leap forward in healthcare, although you are absolutely right. It, it's somewhat shocking that in all the rest of our lives, our shopping experiences. I can buy a pair of pants with a company that's got some incredibly sophisticated algorithms that is pushing me trousers (laughs) that they Mm -hmm. think I'm going to like. Meanwhile, I'm asked if I have issues with my prostate. You're you're absolutely right. Right. Yeah. How's your prostate feeling? (laughs) Well, it doesn't feel like anything. I don't have one. Right. Um, So let me ask you a question. Change management is a thing. And sometimes it is the hardest part of the process. It's actually the easy part to install the technology. And it's the hard part to handle the cultural shifts and the change management and the training and the just internal resistance that is instantly happens. I often have anecdotally seen and heard about offices and what goes on within a provider office. And it's almost like they're these little fiefdoms. Sometimes the office manager in in a physician's office is actually the most powerful individual in the place. What advice would you have from a provider who really understands the necessity of doing things like this and understands that it will improve the quality of care, it will improve the consumer experience? I mean, there's so many advantages. There's six people staring at them at the meeting where they're explaining that they're going to move forward with this thing. How do you recommend that the training happens or the change management occurs? Yeah, this is a great question because it's something that I really hit head on 
and again, being now I'm five years into it, so I can't say I'm new to healthcare, but I was new to healthcare. What I learned very quickly was that the office staff, particularly the administrative staff, but also the medical staff, are still suffering PTSD from their EMR implementation. They are completely emotionally scarred because the EMR was very hard to install, very difficult to use, slowed down their process dramatically, and didn't deliver the efficiency that was claimed early on. So I can tell you two years ago when I was first sitting down talking to anybody who'd listened to us, the staff, particularly the administrative staff, would sit there with their arms crossed in front of them with a scowl on their face saying, what the hell are you proposing to us? You're going to make us change the way we work. You're going to make us become less efficient. That was what was in their mind because, again, they were so scarred from that EMR implementation. Part of what we did was say, okay, the only way we want to change the workflow for the administrative staff is to make it easier. We cannot burden them. So a lot went into the way we designed the product. We spent a lot of time with our alpha sites understanding the workflow to the point where now, and, and we had to design the product to be consumer easy. It could not be like typical healthcare IT, where it took you months to learn. Where we are today is we go in, and, and also the, the world is now coming to the realization that, oh my God, we can eliminate paper. Our system is a 30-minute online training for the staff. They're proficient in a day. I cannot tell you how many emails and phone calls and conversations I've had with our customers, staff users, who have said, David, thank you so much. You've made our lives so much easier. Now we can actually look at patients, smile at them, and talk to them instead of having our heads down, scanning, sh shredding, typing, filing, and managing mountains of paper. And they always felt behind because they were days, if not weeks, behind in data entry. So we had to make it just as easy as using an iPhone, which it, it is. To give you an example of the proof in the pudding, we had a 16-site urgent care group that went live from signing a contract to live in 16 locations in four business days. Wow. Four. <laughs> and, we, and out of a staff of 50, we got a whopping four calls to the help desk in those days. That's the proof. We surveyed all of our staff users. We got a 97 out of 100 net promoter score. I had to calculate it three times to make sure the numbers were right. <laughs> when you do deliver something that makes people's lives in healthcare easier, you know what? They're telling all their friends. It can be done. And that was one of the goals we set out for was to really put a smile on everybody's face by using this product. And it's true. I mean, we surveyed 62,000 patients, 99% approval rating for the product. Again, it's a low bar to cross. <laughs> we had a jump over. It wasn't, wasn't that hot. So. <laughs> Nonetheless, right? it's, a, it's really a testament to what a well-designed product can achieve. So is this an app? I mean, what does this look like functionally? Well, it, it's a platform. It is an iOS application on one end. It's, a, it's an HTML5 application. It's a hybrid. It's got lots of horsepower behind it. So it's not just a simple app you download from the app store. It, it is enterprise software. And we're integrated with over seven different EMR systems on the back end. So to your point earlier, Stacey, the bi-directional data exchange is absolutely critical here. It's a very robust platform. 
all of the information that the patient enters in the waiting room in lifetime, basically, that populates the field's demographic information in, in the EHR system or the medical history. It, it will populate the medical history in the EHR. It actually goes in there and fills out those fields. Exactly. And to the practice management system. So all the demographic information, the billing information, and then the clinical information into the EMR. Uh, the other part of the workflow that we increase is oftentimes patient would fill it out on paper, say the review of systems or their health history. They'd get into the exam room and the nurse practitioner would be looking at that and typing it all into the EHR. So you've got medical professionals being data entry clerks. So we help the, the staff perform at their, the highest level of their license, the top of their license, so-called. That enables the practice to see more patients. So if you don't have the, the, the MA tight doing data entry for five or 10 minutes, we had one of our doctors report back to us. He said, using our system to save five to 10 minutes on every patient visit, we could see three to six more patients a day. Our providers could generate sixty dollars to $120,000 more of revenue per year by simply using your system. That's interesting on two levels. Number one, it, it's certainly a, one of those situations where doing where workflow efficiency actually nets and measurable revenue, I mean, which is always nice. But the, the other thing that interests me about this is there's a lot of technology out there, which is absolutely fabulous and improves the quality of care, which from a revenue perspective matters in a fee-for-value scenario. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to fee-for-service, they may or may not have instant revenue gratification, if you will. There's plenty of examples where care actually improves and revenue decreases. I'm thinking of an example right now where a health system implemented this awesome discharge program for their heart failure patients and reduced readmissions and and improved patient satisfaction by markedly. But they discontinued the program because they lost like half their revenue because they're making so much money by Right. <laughs> from continuing right. to care for heart failure patients. So in fee-for-service, like what works really well in fee-for-value sometimes doesn't translate to fee-for-service. So if you look at where your revenue is coming from, if you've got significant fee-for-service dollars coming in, you might choose to abandon the, the technology despite the fact that it's simply for, for revenue reasons. The fascinating thing about this or the exciting thing really is that in both of I, I could see how it'd be very helpful for fee for value to have people practicing at the top of their license and actually caring for for patients as best that they can and improving outcomes at the same time. But in a fee for service, it works equally well because no one's getting paid the offices as as an expense. So in a fee for service environment, the results are exactly the same. Right. I think we're going to continue to see massive disruption across the whole industry, precisely because the history of healthcare has been provide a service, get paid, charge whatever you can. And if the patient gets sick again, oh, by the way, it's, it's like, you know, the, the car mechanic that doesn't quite do a great job and you're back in two weeks later, oh, you have another problem, got to fix it. Works great for the mechanic, works great for, for the health system to just not really heal people. So now we're really getting into a value-based system, and 
whether it's accountable care organizations and others where the incentive is to keep people healthy, is to be efficient. There was no driver for efficiency in the traditional fee-for-service model. The more services you could provide, the more fees you would generate. And that's why you see in healthcare, they would just throw people at these to create more volume. I remember the first time I showed our system to a practice, the practice administrator said, oh my God, I could let two people go from the front desk. I only need one front desk person with this. I don't need two more $35,000 a year salaries. Now, they may be able to put those folks to work doing other things, but I have another imaging company that had six people in a back office. All they did was data entry all day long, and they had one person driving a car to their three satellite locations, picking up the paper forms to bring them back to the office to be entered. All that goes away with seamless medical. There's a very big difference between being busy and being productive. And and if the goal of a provider practice is to provide care to the patient and you've got people who are not actively and directly correlated to that end, then that counts as a total cost. So being able to repurpose those individuals into activities which are directly related to producing the end game, producing the desired outcome, would seem to not only make good patient care sense, but also good business sense. Right, right. Where can people find out more information about seamless medical systems? Should they be curious? Yeah, well, they can come to our website, seamlessmedical.com. And we've got a lot of information there, or they can send me an email at david at seamlessmedical.com as well. And they can learn more. You know, we're, uh, we're out there fighting the good fight every day. It has been a pleasure to have you on the program, David. Well, Stacey, thanks so much for having me here. I really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, I think what you're doing to shift and drive a conversation in healthcare is very admirable. And I really appreciate all the hard work you're doing in, in the marketplace. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show. So that every week, the episode is automatically sent to you, so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.